All right, college basketball fans, here we go with another edition of Mad About Hoops. I'm Timmy Hall. It's so good to be here. Evil Bald Colin, how you doing, my man? Another week for us. Tim, I'm doing great, man. I can't say the same for the Ohio State basketball team, but I think the sport in general, it's alive and well. Well, you know, you say alive and well. This does, you know, first of all, Ohio State, wow. Alive as, mean, in, as, wow. As, as in tournament stuff, yes. I can't say the same <laughs> for the Ohio State team. Alive is they're they're all breathing right like they're all healthy and yes and, and doing okay and yes really they're they're really healthy to be honest in terms of basketball I mean you had Zed Key who had the shoulder and the the knee but everybody who you would want playing is playing and that's what's you know beyond shocking is they've had a relatively healthy season which they've been begging for Holtman's entire tenure and now they're eleven and eleven we'll have much much more in this podcast we usually hit the Buckeyes pretty hard in the third segment of our program uh, of the pod here so stick with us for that but dude you know the, the thing is when you look at the landscape of this year's college basketball you really you know you've got some traditional blue bloods that have fought to get into the top 25 all year and Ohio state's played two of them in UNC and Duke. And then Kentucky has certainly had their ups and downs, but you can certainly see the talent is there with all three of those squads. Like usual, Kansas really the only one of the, I mean, and look at Louisville too, like a blue blood complete trash this year, but the Jayhawks after their three game slide, they go in and they wax Kansas state to get on the up and up again. And they're really the one power brand I guess you could say UCLA under Mick Crone and they've been doing their thing as well but I think this is going to be a really interesting and open NCAA tournament when we get to it oh yeah that last point absolutely I've been saying it all week that I, I feel just as confident in a five seed or a six seed like Creighton as I would any of the one seats especially like in Alabama like it just feels like a year where it's completely open and if someone puts a six or seven seed in their championship game this year I'm not going to bat an eye on it now clearly we had a team like North Carolina do it last year and it was it's definitely possible but I think just the, the realization that you can predict it and it not be completely crazy to think about is I think what's different about this year yeah and I just I keep looking at that team at the top of the Big Ten and of all the years for Purdue to have the number one ranked team in the country to be basically locked into a one seed outside of some miserable meltdown. And the thing of it is with Purdue, with such a turnover, with the roster that turned over this much, clearly you still have Zach Eady, and that matters, right? But you need to get credit for recruiting that mammoth that is Zach Eady, who clearly was not this good when he came in. So Matt Painter and his staff, they deserve a ton of credit for bringing that guy in. But it's just interesting that it's this Boilermaker team that's in this spot. And you still, I know their fans are going to be walking on eggshells, my dad included. It ain't going to mean anything until you get to that third weekend of the NCAA tournament and they are there. That's all it is about Purdue. Yeah, that's what's crazy about this. More talented teams have have come up short in expectations and whatnot. And you've got this Purdue, Purdue team where you're kind of confused of how they're doing, what they're doing, because outside of Zach Eady, it, it's not as flashy, but then you're getting situations where like Mason Gillis is scoring 29 points Ooh. in an off game or Ethan Morton's adding some production. Like it just, se- it seems like in the right situations, they're getting the right amount of production from certain guys. 
And not to really, not, not to drag Ohio State back into this, but I think that's what they're missing, though, is that they're not getting that key production from a guy here or a guy there, no. which then leads to their downfall of what their seasons have been. So, But back to Purdue, it's it's what I've been saying all year. It's what are they going to do if Zach Eady faces any adversity with the foul calling? If he runs into any foul trouble, how are they going to handle it? But if they keep on getting spot starts like what Mason Gillis just gave them in their last game, I mean, you, you have to think a third weekend is on their uh, list of priorities and list of things they can really accomplish. All right, so we've got a lot of fun coming up in this podcast here. Something that, that Evil and I were breaking down before the pod, he was yelling at me saying, hey, man, like I've been talking about this guy for a long time. And I said, I don't know if you've mentioned his name or this team in the last four or five podcasts or since this season got rolling along. But you said last year there's, there's something – in this season of college basketball that is absolutely blowing my mind, and I mean nobody, nobody is talking about it. So we will in this pod. That'll be uh, coming up in the second segment. We got to get into the flopping issue that's going on in this sport as well. We haven't really broken that down much. And we will continue to start things up here by getting you caught up with what went on in a wild week of basketball. So sit right back. And we'll tell you how we became the princes of Bel Air while also bringing you some college basketball coverage. This is Mad About Hoops. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Inbounds Turner, left side of the backboard. Turner crossed the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He hit it. He hit it. He hit it. He hit it. He hit it just inside of half court. Lane's on the other wing. Frank. Oh! 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 Sent it in, Jerome! <laughs> College basketball! This is March Madness! Oh, we are almost there, folks. It is February, and for those of you listening in as we're simulcast on Saturday mornings, on the fan, we say good morning, and we're getting ready for a great, great day and a great weekend in the sport that we know and love. Colin, if we look back at this week, what was what was the big game for you? Like, what what really pushed all your buttons and all the ball that you watched? Wow, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, there's there's quite a few I could go with. I I think the one that kind of opened my eyes the most and because I'm such a mid-major fan it's it's got to be the win that UAB had over Florida Atlantic on Thursday night with a nine-point win Jelly Walker makes his return to the lineup showing you that Conference USA is not just being run by Florida Atlantic that the Blazers are going to have something to say this year for that automatic bid in that conference the people that are already automatically writing the owls into an eight-nine matchup Slow your roll because Jelly Walker is going to show why he deserves to make another return to the tournament. But I mean, outside of that, there, a lot of teams just kind of took care of business. But at the same time, there's also teams, and we see, seemingly, seemingly say this every single week, that don't hold up their end of the bargain. And that has to be Tennessee. Again, another team that I say year in and year out, you don't know which team you're going to get on a nightly basis under Rick Barnes. 13-point uh, loss on the road at Florida couldn't score. That's the story of Tennessee. When they want to be good, their offense is clicking and they're as good as anybody in the nation and they could win the national title. But when that offense goes cold, they score 54 points and they could be out either the first or second round. So I, I think Tennessee is another case example of you got to be careful with them this year. 
You know, buddy, I thought I, I almost was certain you were going to go back to Big Monday. And that's interesting. You bring up some mid-major action there with UAB. And Jelly Walker is just one of those big-time scorers, right? That if they do get into the NCAA tournament, that'll be a name once again that people will recognize because it is such a cool nickname and what that guy does. But you go back to Big Monday here, and usually the Big 12 takes center stage. You had Texas and Baylor. That was a really fantastic game. And... Sorry, I have like the audio playing right now. Amateur move. It's that stupid, <laughs> the stupid ESPN website, right? When you're looking at scores, shut up, shut up. It won't shut off. You had Texas and Baylor and then Texas Tech and Iowa State that went to overtime. And that was just a, a cyclone team who you love their coach. You yep. love TJ who uh, leads the Cyclones, Otzelberger. Yes. But, man, what a meltdown. And that was Texas Tech's first win in the Big 12. Gave up 49 points in the second half to that Red Raiders team, which I think there's talent on that roster, especially with Kevin O'Bannon, Daniel Bacho, a name that we got to know down in Maui. And then uh, Fardaz made his return to the lineup a few a couple of weeks ago, I believe. But yes, that's an Iowa State team that needs to pull out wins like that. They've kind of been on a little bit of a slide, but it just shows you how deep the Big 12 is. Anybody could win on any night. Yeah, and the other one that I've got to go to, man, and I don't know how much time you were able to spend watching this one, but I've probably checked in to the Xavier Musketeers more than most who don't really have a connection to that program. But it's I, I don't know. It's an Ohio team. They play in a high major conference. The Cintas Center is a marvelous place to catch a basketball game. Sean Miller is back for them, and they've got a good roster. They really do. And I was interested to see how they played against a really good team. You and I are both big Ed Cooley fans. You talk about another coach that just sort of gets overlooked for bigger gigs. I think he does like being at Providence where he is and what he's done with that program. But two top 20 teams – this week and boy Bynum was terrific for Providence who I think he's even their fifth leading score but he's just a dog of a player yeah he's he's, I mean he's getting 35 minutes off the bench absolutely man he's really good and he was taking some of the big shots for them down the stretch but an overtime affair that you know Jack Nungy stepped up I mean someone's got to fill that void with Zach Fremantle now their other big who's given you about 16 and 8 a game They think they're going to get him back for March Madness, but you never know how that goes. He's in a walking boot, so a serious foot injury. They want to get him back, but first game up against a really, really good opponent. I don't care if that's home, road, or neutral. They win it, and they get big stuff again from Sule Boom, man, who I I still think has been one of the better success stories for a mid-major transfer guy who is a stud at the mid-major level, comes up to a conference Big East-like or bigger, and has just been awesome. Just incredible stuff. He had two incredible drives to the to the basket and scores when it mattered down in crunch time. And Jack Nungy, outside of one careless turnover there late, he was he was big time, man. I think he gave him he had a, a twenty and ten double double. It was fantastic from from Xavier to get that dub. Yeah, you nailed it with Boom, man. He's he's been great for an addition for that roster and you nailed it. Mid-major guys, when they move up to the power level game, you don't know how it's going to translate. Some guys don't. Some guys do what Boom's doing, and now he's like a front runner for the Big East Player of the Year. Um, he's been a really good addition. It was much needed next to Colby Jones. Jones really needed a, another guard that could play with him on a consistent basis to play up to his level. They both combined for 40 points, 20 apiece. Uh, mm-hmm. Jerome Hunter had a pretty good game. He had nine points in that game, stepped up in the vacant spot for, by Fremantle in the starting lineup. And yeah, it, it's. I think this could be a preview of the conference uh, tournament title game between Providence and, and Xavier. I, I think these are probably the two best teams most consistent teams, at least. Connecticut, 
is out there and Creighton's out there, but they aren't as consistent game in and game out. Although I got to say Creighton's the one that'll probably break that top two pairing in my opinion, because Creighton's starting to come on late, but yeah, it's just this top four or five teams with Marquette throwing in that mix. It's just such a great conference. And I think they're going to prove it come the NCAA tournament time when they make runs. And I, yeah. I feel very confident in almost all of them. Yeah. that That's the thing in, um, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Hunter for the Musketeers because it's guys like that. They might not get the most points, but they're just program guys. And, I mean, you think about you, – you really you think about dudes like Kyle Young for Ohio State, right? And yeah. he, was, he was someone that developed clearly for people that know his story really well. And by the time he was in his fourth and fifth seasons, it, when he was hot, he could go out there and, and his offensive game started to come around just with his, his glue guy game. So that, that was a big performance that you mentioned, and a lot of good teams there. A lot of good teams in that league. That's a little wrap on what's been going on this week in the sport as we will continue to look ahead to this weekend. And like we said there, we'll, uh, we'll take a quick pause and talk about this dude that nobody is and how crazy it is. And I want to know from you, Colin, some of the players that you're, uh, you're sad that you missed watching in person in college basketball. I thought of this because, you know, we get some – we get some great voices in college Miss, hoops. as in you've seen them before and want to see them again, or you did not get nope. a chance to see them? As in they just weren't in your era. Either you were just a little bit too young and they timed out and you didn't get to catch them in person in a game. And if you could go back, man, would you love to watch those guys play live. This could be, you know, guys that are maybe here in the last decade or some of the greats of all time. I'm just curious because with uh, – you know, it's, it's one thing we had Bill Raftery and Gus Johnson both calling games. Raftery did that Xavier game I just mentioned. You heard him, his voice in the open with the send it in Jerome, right? It's one of the best. Gus is great. You hear him. But Jim Jackson, I just think it's so cool how much we get to hear Jim Jackson. And that's just a quick example for me about how, you know, they asked him how he would have fared in today's game. And I already am thinking, oh, man, like Jim Jackson would have done just fine in today's game. He would have been, he said, I think he would have gotten 30, 35 in today's basketball. I'm like, yeah, I don't doubt that for a dude back then when it was rough and tumble getting 23 a game. But we'll do some of that and we'll keep this thing going. You guys are listening to Mad About Hoops. Yes, indeed. Feels like a good day for some college basketball, baby. I'm Timmy Hall. He's Evil Bald Colin. CB. This is a name that we need to mention because when we get into our Mad About Hoops road trip meter at the end of the pod, by the way, uh, this past weekend, I mean, when you've got you got you have Kansas and Kentucky, I mean, my God, right? That's uh, that's pretty good stuff. You had you had Indiana and Ohio State Saturday night. You had Kansas, Kentucky, but if you look ahead a little bit, this might coincide with some mid-major flavor with a chance to get out and and watch something special in person. Because the 2023 Horizon League, yes, that's right, folks, the 2023 Horizon League men's basketball tournament will once again be at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum. So neat venue, too. It's another arena in Indianapolis that isn't the spot where the Pacers played. And I'm assuming that could be the old Pacers spot. I'll have to click on that to find more about the venue. I've never been there, but... As you said, Colin, Horizon is one of those leagues that has some home games, home site games, and then moves on to the neutral site place, correct? Yeah, I, I kind of actually enjoy it 
that way because you get to see the home environments and how raucous they get. I mean, you're, you're watching a random game between Oakland and Wright State or Northern Kentucky to Norse hosting Cleveland State. Like, it just really fun environments early on in the tournament. Teams that are trying to keep their hopes of extending their postseason dreams alive. And I, I think what I love about it is you kind of get the intimate feel to it, especially maybe a smaller conference than the Horizon, even though Horizon's small, but not as small as some of these ones that get really, really small, like the Northeast Conference. But uh, no, just the intimate nature of like watching almost like a high school basketball type of game, like a high school gym. It's kind of cool, but I, I do like that they kind of transfer it over to their big games. They go to the big arena so that they can get the right right size crowds for those type of uh, games of magnitude. I, I completely agree as a basketball fan with everything that you just said about the small conference tournaments. And uh, even uh, if you don't go to those neutral site games at the end, I'm good with it. Speaking uh, from a guy who went to Weber State for a year before he went to a bigger school, you win your regular season and you know you're in one of those small leagues where the only way you're putting on your dancing shoes is if you win the conference tournament you get a little reward for lasting the 14 or 16 or 18 game regular season, whatever it is. It's usually parsed down for the smaller leagues, but hosting them all the way through your championship game, that can be a pretty cool thing. And I did see Weber State take down Eastern Washington in a really, really fun game back in uh, 2003, I guess it was. And that was great. But, you know, speaking of the Horizon League tournament and why you might want to circle that as a chance to swing over to Indianapolis before all the bigger stuff gets going in March this one uh, their conference tournament actually gets started this month late February and it goes through that is that also a good thing March they try Isn't to that good yeah they try to isolate from the power conferences and get them out mm -hmm. there and even they get them in midweek games which I, I love because it gives you something to look forward to when you get home at around six or seven o'clock at night and then most conferences usually have their championship games on like one of those February weekend days. Sometimes I've, I've even seen them spill over into a Monday. But uh, no, it's such a great idea for them to get them out of the way and uh, gives our teams chance to kind of get a platform shown for them. All right, I'm I'm really I'm really delaying and getting the big thing out there and and what <laughs> everybody needs to know what's going on in college hoops this year because as I'm going to ask you. You know, who maybe a couple of your guys that you're really, really sad you never got to see play live or if you could get in a time machine and go back and watch them. This is a name that probably would not be on there. But he's also, he's not done. And folks, there is a dude, if you ever just go to the stats tab, I don't think many people do that on the NCAA basketball, whatever, and just try to take a look at the leading scores because usually you're just checking out your big conferences and who's doing the most in the big leagues, national player of the year type stuff. But this dude named Antoine Davis, fifth year guard for Detroit Mercy, he is now second all time in the NCAA in scoring. Second all time total points. As I was looking through this NCAA.com article from a month ago, looking at some things about the pistol, right? I'm looking at Pistol Pete Maravich. There he is from LSU, 3,667 points from 1967 to 1970. And right, Colin, they said if he had a three-point line, could have been 58 <laughs> points per game or something like that. Easy. But, but Davis, Davis now is sitting at 3,367 points, 300 points back. And the way the dude's filling it up with over 26 points per game, don't end the show on this guy. They're a bad team, so 
you know they're going to they're going to have the games the possible games in their conference tournament if they win one and then keep it going. They have seven left in the regular season starting tomorrow, Sunday, with a home game against Purdue-Fort Wayne. They just blasted Cleveland State, which was a big win this week, 85-67. But, dude, I just I think that's incredible. This little guard at Detroit Mercy could outside shot wind up being the all-time leading scorer in college basketball. Yeah, man, it's it's awesome. He's got some great bloodlines, obviously, related to his dad, um, head coach Mike Davis, who coached at UAB and Indiana. And, uh, Indiana his, guy. His yep. brother, Mike Jr., is also the assistant on the team. So it's a it's quite a good little family atmosphere they've got there, but it's provided a really good atmosphere for, for him to to really thrive and you already n- nailed what, what he was uh, chasing in terms of points. He's the record holder for a hundred, 134 consecutive consecutive games with double f- digit figures. Uh, that's, it's impressive as, in itself. Uh, he's like you said, three over 3000 points. Uh, the second player in NCAA history to amass 3000 points and 500 assists, like so many different things. And I'm just going down his bio right now. So many different bullet points on just these astronomical numbers and figures he's putting up and yeah he's 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 kind of a volume guy but he really cashes in on it too he's yeah i mean volume doesn't mean a whole lot if you're putting up little numbers but he's putting up good numbers he's got 26.4 points per game like he's he's really cashing it in and he's been a fun watch over the years and to imagine that he's been at detroit for as long as he has and he's a graduate student there now it's it's really cool to see guys like that stick around this program for for as long as they do i think that you know, the, the five years, I've said this before, I, I really do think that you should get five full years of eligibility. The pandemic let this happen, but I just, I don't understand the downside of it. Now with NIL and if there's an off chance that, you know, with so many guys turning pro and so much turnover in college basketball, you get a chance to see five years of Antoine Davis at a place like Detroit Mercy. Like you said it there, I, I think that's, it's freaking incredible. And the pandemic free year, did give this guy the games in hand, right? So it's not like there was a an injury season and he only played, what would it be, like less than the 20 or 25% to get the medical redshirt and he had a slim number of games. No, he had at least 22 games, and they're all starts in five college basketball seasons. He played 30 games in his first two, and he's played at least 22, so maybe some minor injuries there in 2021, whatever that was. But it, it's crazy, man. His lowest scoring total in his college basketball career was last season, and that was 23.9 points per game. And, hey, he's a 41% shooter from the field. You mentioned we've seen volume guys struggle to hit that, but just imagine walking in the gym. Like, I, I got to appreciate Steph Curry and watch him and his run at Davidson this seems kind of like that. Just getting to say, yeah, I've seen that Antoine Davis dude in person and say what you will about, you know, their team success and whatnot. This guy was just incredible to see. And I mean, some of the stories about him, like you, you think you could put up 10,000 shots a day, Colin, <laughs> could, could you see yourself doing that? Uh, no. I mean, it's, uh, no. it's always a cliche <laughs> that people talk about, but uh, I, I don't know how realistic it is. Personally, for me, but yeah, you just talk about the consistency. You nailed it. Um, his second highest scoring average year was his freshman year, 
over four years ago where he was averaging 26.1 points per game. So he's been consistent throughout his entire career, averages 40% from the field, 37% from behind the three-point line, but a crazy 89% from the free throw line. So this guy just knows how to get buckets, and he's done it for a long time. It's just just the amount of consistency over years gets you in that position to where he can break those records. I wonder what this dude's NBA future is if he's got He's going to get a shot. He's a crazy thing. Yeah, he's going to get a shot. You'll get a shot, but that doesn't mean you're going to last. It's just one of those crazy things where I I don't want to make it all about that because we're talking college basketball here, and look what the guy's done, and that's an impressive thing. But 10,000 shots a day in the gym, thats your arms would fall off. I mean, I've loved playing basketball as a kid. I don't know if I even sniffed anything like that, maybe not in an entire summer. And I loved getting to an empty gym and just shooting and shooting and shooting. But uh, speaking of dudes that you can't miss – uh, I, I would like lead off with with Pete Maravich, who I mentioned the pistol. Sure. And there's so many stories about him. And if you could have just seen what that dude was like for LSU, you're talking about a legend. I also uh, I, I thought of this because Jerry Lucas was at the Ohio State game uh, last night on as we're talking here. It was on Thursday when the Buckeyes lost to Wisconsin. Jim Jackson's call in the game. He'd be one. Jerry Lucas is in attendance. He's certainly one of the legends. Throw him next to John Havlicek. And I just, I don't know if Buckeye fans of a certain age who were enjoying that team in the early 60s, you got the big O, of course, playing at Cincy. Boy, what what a golden era for college hoops that must have been to watch those guys play it out. Yeah, no, you nailed it. That's uh, that's a great era of guys that can really fill it up. And that, that's kind of what I want to go with my, with my two guys. I always tend to focus on guards when I think about guys I missed. Um... I don't know. For some reason, it just always seems to be because of how they shoot from deep and the consistency at which they do it. And guys like, uh, I'm, I'm going to name Scotty Reynolds down at uh, Villanova. I got to see him on TV, but was never really at an age where I could go and see him in person or because the Big East was so different back in that day and how geography was with that conference. It wasn't really attainable to go see a game he played in, but averaged over 14, 15 points per game every season and was consistent from three point land. He was up there with Antoine Davis and his percentages at 37%. And you got to go with JJ Redick for the other one. I mean, just the way he changed the game to the point where they pretty much moved back to three point line because of him and how efficient he was from shooting from the original three point line over 40% for his career from behind the arc averaged 19.5 points per game as a freshman and just went up from that point on to improve off of that average Year after year is pretty impressive. But, yeah, finished up with almost 29 points per game in the senior year. That's that's pretty good, man. I love I like the love for Scotty Reynolds. You throw out a Villanova dude. You make me think of maybe some UConn guards when you throw oh, out a yeah. nice Villanova guard, like a, like a Khaled Elamine, Rip Hamilton in college basketball, maybe some of those dudes for the Huskies, for Jim Calhoun. You think of some of the other all-time greats, too, like the UCLA greats, Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And uh, Bill Walton, certainly, you know, some of the greatest college basketball players ever to do it. I guess you could still say, who are we to, to not say, you know, Magic Johnson or Larry Bird or Michael Jordan? I know it's not an NBA podcast. Right. Per se, I but, mean, there's, there's, man, there's clear, dude's got it done at there's that clear, obvious picks. I, I definitely agree with that. I, I think I wanted to go with guys that kind of meant more than me in the area era that I watched the games, but I couldn't physically go to them. That's why you're good, because everybody could just <laughs> everybody could say those guys. Uh, Trey Young is another one yes. that, that I think you and me would have loved to see. 
uh, recently just because of the shooting aspect and the guys that could just walk in the gym and they are a danger. And something to say about dudes that just, they don't have the height and the weight, right? They don't have the size. Another one, too, that I'll throw out that was a superstar in the league, but I think just as important to college basketball and it's just kind of a shame to see what's happened to Georgetown hoops, mm. and you already know where I'm going with that one, is AI, is what uh, Allen Iverson was for John Thompson's kind of final hurrah with the Hoyas. What's funny is you could have gone a lot of different ways with that. I mean, you could have gone AI. Uh, Roy Hibbert, Roy was, Hibbert. One of, was one of the most imposing big men that I've seen in, my, in my days. But yeah. saw Steph well, take him down. There you go. You, you got to accomplish that. But he, he would have been on my list. All right. So we will take a quick pause. And we'll be breaking down what the heck is going on with these Buckeyes right now and how they're 500 for the first time in 20 seasons in the month of February. This is crazy what's happening to this team. We talk about it. You guys are listening to Mad About Hoops. Welcome back to Mad About Hoops, the weekend edition and the podcast. If you're catching this before the Saturday morning broadcast, Tim, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the segments on the Fox NFL Sunday show with Jimmy Johnson where they would do the segment where they would stick forks in teams mm-hmm. when their playoff <laughs> chances were done. Are we there yet? I don't yet? like that. Are we I don't th- like that segment. Are we there yet with this team? Yeah. Because it, yeah, uh, come on. It, it, uh, I mean, I, I have to ask the question, but I agree come with on. you. Come on. Come on. How could you not be there? <laughs> Come on. Like, what are we doing? I don't know, like, man. Like, I, I, we're in a prediction business, so I, I know I was just on the record saying let's wait five games, but they just lost at home to a struggling <laughs> Wisconsin team to right. drop to 500. This is – honestly, I had just been waiting to see if this happened. Like, they're not going to hit – I've been pouring through past seasons. Hey, Tim, ESPN Analytics yeah. has them as a 61% chance to win against Michigan this weekend. I just want you to know <laughs> I don't that. don't understand it. Stop doing that. <laughs> Stop doing that, ESPN. Cut it out. It's over. Like, stop the 85% chance to win against Wisconsin. Seven and a half point favorites. What are we doing? No, I I had been waiting to see if this happened because pouring over last season's, and there's a good thing in here, remarkable, right, that it has been 20 years since the end of the Jim O'Brien era that they had been a 500 team in the month of February, meaning you were always winning more games than you lost late in the college basketball season and keeping your head above water at all costs. On February 2nd, 2023, that finally didn't happen for Ohio State basketball, and they dipped to 11 and 11 and three and eight in Big Ten play. So I don't know what that says, man. We know what it says. We know exactly what it says. It, it, it means that this season is a disjointed mess right now, and nobody can figure out how to how to stop it or how to make it better at this point. Yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> So I'm just uh, is, I'm, is, is Lumberg here doing? The, uh, yeah. Um, okay. It's, it's, it's so hard to talk about, man. Yeah, it's uh, just I'm just looking through the list of you know to to qualify for the NIT, you have to at least be 500, and I don't feel very confident that this team is even gonna going to be in that situation as of today. Um, I'm trying to look back. I believe they declined. Did they decline a postseason the opportunity for the last year of that? Of that. Okay, that's they right. did. I I remember the lasting image of that team 
just sort of hanging their heads and walking off the court in the Big Ten tournament after a loss to Rutgers. And that was not today's Steve Peichel, Rutgers, Scarlet Knights. They weren't there yet. And that was that was a low point, man. Mm-hmm. That team was above five hundred. They won seventeen basketball games. And they qual- team by by record, they qualified to be given a bid to the NIT, which sure they just did. that just tells you how crazy. We thought that team was miserable and they still had a chance to go to the NIT if they were selected. I know. Or maybe they were given the opportunity and they just declined it. I I, I don't remember how that went down, but that's, the fact of the matter is so is, rough, man. Yeah. Is that you think of that season and those last 200 that as being ridiculously bad because of the success that had been had here at Ohio with Ohio State hoops and now like you don't even you don't even know what to do or you don't even know what to say. And I don't really it's been the same thing for five or six games and what else can they do they just have to keep working at it they just have to keep trying to get better i don't know how they're able to do it over there and try to keep a positive mindset that's got to be the hardest thing of all no i i completely agree it's got to be the hardest thing and i don't think it's going to happen this year unfortunately it just kind of seems like the direction that this is heading is just kind of rolling down like an avalanche and i i hate to see how or guess how it's going to finish out, but it's not going to be pretty, man. And there's a lot of questions about this program if it goes that way that they're going to have to ask. And a lot in the athletic department, is this acceptable? Can you really withstand having a year like this, year six in, and then looking at the accomplishments of what's happened in the past six years and saying, is this acceptable? I I don't know. We're going to figure that out. I really don't know what the right answer is as of now, but... It's uh, it's going to be a tough decision that I'm, I'm glad I'm not the one that has to make it. And look, you saw that Adam Jardy got a quick comment from Gene Smith, right? You know, Adam yes. covers his team very closely, so he hears from the fans all the time, as do we. You know, I cover the team, so we know exactly what's going on. I think, and- I think we all heard it, because if we can recount what we heard at the Wisconsin game, I mean, there were fans yelling down to us in the media section. Well, and, you know, Chris Holtman, of course, got teed up he got double tap teed late in the first half and didn't coach that game in the second and the, the thing is is when they've been getting blasted they've started to play a little bit better but what what are you going to do for that you know they've they've lost seven out of eight games right here and they're 11 and 11 they have big stretches of the basketball game where they get blasted it's not it's not like they have a two to three minute stretch where they might get you know outscored by you know seven or eight, and then they have a nice little run of their own. No, like they're having total meltdown stretches in these games. So I mean, yeah, that, but- you, you just you blink and you didn't realize it until you looked up at the scoreboard. Once you were in the middle of halftime, they were down sixteen. I mean, sixteen. Yeah, I mean, of course, it felt like Wisconsin was controlling that game, but I'm like, sixteen points? What happened? And then obviously, you you start to calculate in your brain. Well, it was. What happened with the, the double technicals and then getting all the free throws, extra extra possessions, and you name it, and that just kind of adds up. But uh, it, it's frustrating, man. I, I totally understand how it's frustrating inside the building for them because definitely on the outside for fans alike, it's very frustrating. But my point about Gene Smith's comment and his vote of confidence for Chris Holtman where he said, you know, he's – we want him to be our guy and our coach into the future and said he's doing an amazing job, and they were relatively short and sweet comments – People want to know, like, how do you take those? What does that mean? I I look at that evil as just a boss having his guys back, and mm-hmm. it means at the end of the season, 
or going forward pretty much next to nothing because this is a constant thing where you are constantly going to be evaluated. Yes. And if Gene on one hand says you're sticking to your guns where you don't evaluate a season that's going on, sticking to that rule, and Chris Holtman really didn't want to do it either. He didn't want to you know, sit down and evaluate a season that's still got this many games left to go, and I totally understand that. Then then what's the worth in a positive comment like that from Gene Smith? Do you see what I'm saying? No, I completely agree with you. It's uh, Me personally, I would prefer to him to say we, we evaluate seasons at the end and we'll, we'll go back and do things there. I get what he's trying to do with the momentum of getting out behind his guy because of the situation that they're in, the slide that they're in. Uh, just the support I would assume anybody in that position would want from the guy that's above them. I, I totally get what he's going for there, but I think you just got to take his words with a grain of salt as of now, because it's still the middle of the season. And I mean, these guys might be thinking one way or another right now, but they're never going to truly tell you that it's, it's really kind of a wait till the end of the season to process it and decide. Look, and, and the personal side, I'm sure has to be hard enough for Chris Holtman because you know, you make it to this level of college basketball, you've got money, you know, and, and he's of course got the security with the contract extension locked in through 27, 28. I think it's so like, it ain't se- about, I think it's like yeah. 17 million or something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, so he's he's set in that regard. That doesn't make it any easier as far as the job and connecting with this team and now having all of this out there. And like we said, this being the first time in two decades that you've been a 500 team this late into February. So uh, Michigan on the road tomorrow, <laughs> man. Matinee, as if you're listening to us on Saturday morning here on The Fan, that is. That uh, Sunday, 1 o'clock tip at Michigan and they just rolled, rip-rolled Northwestern. Yeah, if you've got any, like, chores or anything you need to do around the house or an appointment, I, I'm totally going to understand. No, but um, I, I will find myself somehow, for some reason, still on the couch at 1 o'clock watching this game and seeing what happens. And maybe just a sliver of hope that maybe there's still something they can salvage of this season, but... Uh, not oh, very, hey, not very confident. In it. But yes, it's... again, just just to hammer this point, and we've said this for weeks. Don't be asking for decisions to be made left and right right now. They will eventually be made at the end of the season, depending on which direction they go. If they either stay with the way that things are built, or if they go in a different direction. But to be asking for it right now, or things to be happening after games right away, it's just it's not going to happen. So just don't waste your time with it. Just let the season play out, and then we'll we'll get into those discussions. It is, for me at least, it's gotten to such a tenuous point now where it's interesting theater just to watch this team play and especially just to feel the mood in the home gym, especially now that you're getting to a game where if you lose it, you're under 500. Then what happens? (laughs) Then what does everybody start doing? The questions that are being asked in post-game press conferences now are becoming just insane. Like, are people jealous of Bryce Sensabaugh and things like that and his success? It's just, it's getting crazy, man. It's getting crazy. I mean, I I personally think those questions are a little crazy, but at the same time, you kind of understand why they're being asked because there's just no solutions yet. We haven't seen a change in this stretch of really bad games outside of the Iowa game. And it's, it's frustrating for all, and you're trying to find answers, and quite honestly, it just doesn't seem like there's any of them right now. 
All right, so what are you going to get into this weekend from a college basketball viewing standpoint? We will hit you with our Mad About Hoops road trip meter. What can you get out to and enjoy if you're leaving the Buckeyes off to the side? Of course, they're a close drive just up in Ann Arbor on Sunday. You can get in for $16. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty cheap ticket right now, too, because both those teams have had some struggles. So we'll do that. We'll set the table for the weekend and Collins' mid-major flavor coming at you quick pause this is mad about hoops all right tim it's a pretty good weekend of games i don't know about the road trip meter but there's a really good group of top 10 games especially a top 10 matchup between i believe it is texas and kansas state is that correct oh baby that's good man look there's there's a phenomenal slate here in the top 25. You've got uh, Kansas at Iowa State at noon here on Saturday. So another chance for the Jayhawks to stay. I guess I can't say stay hot. They just beat up Kansas State to stop a three-game skid. They're fine, though. Kansas is 18-4. and four. They're fine. But I will say... This is a little bit far away for uh, our Mad About Hoops road trip meter because you're talking about Ames, Iowa. Because of where I went to school, I did get to check that venue out in person. Put it on your list. If you're ever out there, and maybe, uh, I don't know if you can really do the Field of Dreams that time of year in Iowa to try to you know, double up. But if you can you know, hit a trip to Chicago and then keep going west, the Hilton Magic, it is a phenomenal environment for Iowa State. Of course, you got you know, some ranked teams, Clemson hosting Miami. You've got Tennessee taking on Auburn. That one is today at 2 o'clock. Yeah, Texas at Kansas State at 4 o'clock here on a Saturday. So Big 12's got great action, just great stuff in the top 25. Big one in the West Coast Conference, St. Mary's hosting Gonzaga. So the Zags already with a loss in league play. They took one at home, remember? And that was uh, Loyola Marymount. We talked about that a week or two ago. But uh, here's one that I might put at a 5 on the uh, road trip meter rating, five out of ten, because of how expensive it's going to be. Again, incredible <laughs> environment, not a far drive. Bloomington, Indiana, IU hosting Purdue. A get-in price of check this five hundred dollars per person. So good luck trying to do that. Hope you know somebody. <laughs> I I knew Indiana was crazy about their basketball. That's different levels of crazy. But good luck to everybody that got tickets to go into that game. That's going to be a great one. Uh, my, I'm sticking with my main one to be Friday night. And if you watch this game already, congrats to what I hope was a very good game, but it's a home game for Akron hosting Kent state. Uh, winner takes sole possession of first place in the Mac, which is going to be huge come tournament time because there's a mixture of three to four teams. I would say that are really in play to win that conference between Kent state, Akron, Toledo, and maybe throw in ball state, but it's, it's a very good conference this year. I, I'm really excited to watch this game. As of heading into Friday night, Xavier Castaneda averaging almost 21 points per game was a really key piece of this team that stayed around after last year's tournament team who gave UCLA a scare last year. And that was almost one of the most epic upsets I've seen in tournament play. But yeah, it's it's going to be a great game on Friday night. And Saturday, I'll, I'll just keep on going with Xavier. They'll host St. John's. I don't know. If it's gonna, I don't know if it's going to be a great game, but Xavier's only lost one game at Cintas, so I, I'm going to expect them to get the W and keep on rolling towards uh, possibly a Big East title. 
It feels like Xavier has had a weekend home game every single weekend. It, it really We've been does. Doing this pod, it right? really does. And it certainly hasn't felt like that for Ohio State because it hasn't been true. But I will actually go. I'm going to hit you with a with an eight on my on my rating here for this one. I don't know if I've given you an ACC game on the road trip meter yet. We know we've got West Virginia. That's in the Big 12. That's a close drive. I was looking for a little pit action, but they're not home this weekend, pit, because they're rising up. They just uh, they were in the news for something, some noise with uh, Jason Cable being upset with his treatment at UNC. Uh, get over it, dude, right? <laughs> but pit has been better. I'm going to hit you with Virginia on the road in Blacksburg at Virginia Tech. Yes, a little rivalry action, in-state rivalry, and... I've heard great things about the gym, Castle Coliseum. Uh, Del Curry went there. I think there was uh, they were trying to get Seth Curry or uh, even Steph Curry. They were trying to get him to like a, be a preferred walk-on there, and people were wondering how he ended up at Davidson. That was really his only shot to go into major college basketball off of Jump Street. But interesting one because Virginia Tech has has not been great. Three and eight. They did beat Duke, but Virginia typical. Typical who's team under Tony Bennett, 17 and three, number six in the country. And you got to win that game, Colin. Like you have to. Absolutely. You, Clemson's at the top of the league. So Virginia's got to win that game to keep pace. And it's about a five hour drive. Folks that might have done the football road trip, it's a pretty little drive. You get to go through Western Virginia, West Virginia as well, and then down on through into, uh, you know, near near Roanoke, kind of near where Smith Mountain Lake is. Very pretty drive and only five hours by car. So it's doable. And ticket prices aren't crazy and a neat experience. Yeah, you nailed it about the ACC, man. They really need this game. I'm kind of surprised that Clemson's still out there. I mean, they're only really in this position to be tied because Clemson lost a road game. Inexplicable loss on the road at Boston College. And Clemson's got a few losses like that on their record that are pretty inexcusable. But that just shows how crazy the ACC can be year in and year out. Uh, Yeah, Virginia Tech, not a great team, but they do play well at home. So I'll give them that. But it's... uh, this is a conference we're going to have to watch throughout the rest of the year because to see Duke and North Carolina in the middle of this table and not at the top is not very common. And uh, I'm curious to see if teams like NC State, Pitt, Virginia, and maybe even Clemson can hold off them and their eventual run to try to take the top spot heading into tournament time. Well, hey, man, we certainly got a, got a hit on the fact that Duke and Carolina, oh, baby, they go at 630 on Saturday 16 and 6 Blue Devils, 15 and 7 North Carolina Tar Heels. Throw the records out, man. For someone that's enjoyed that game in both venues, it's everything that they say it could be. It's absolutely incredible and everybody should see Duke UNC before they die. Absolutely. And it's it's a huge game in terms of the standings in the ACC because there's a bunch of teams tied right in there with 7-4, 8-4 records, and there's a gap between them and the 6-6s. The six and sixes. So you'll you'll have to figure out if you can if you can win this game, you'll stay in the hunt for the ACC title. If you lose this, you're probably going to be in the middle of the pack in a really tough spot come ACC tournament time. Hit them with a mid-major flavor, CB. Yeah, I'm going to go out to the Big Sky Conference, which I know you're very familiar with, with Weber State, who are having a pretty decent year in conference. I wouldn't say overall. They're also 11-11. Um, but Eastern Washington, they have a really good squad this year. The Eagles, they've kind of gone through some transition, lost their coaches, both the Groves brothers a couple years ago that were on the tournament team that gave a lot of uh, a lot of people trouble, but uh, they, they've they've been pretty good. I mean, they're undefeated in the Big Sky. They're 17 and seven overall. Steel Venters is their leading scorer at 15 points per game. 
really the only reason why I bring them up. It's not like they have any amazing wins. They've lost games to teams like Santa Clara, Yale, Hawaii. That's not the point. The point of it is, is that the Big Sky usually puts a representative in the big, or in, excuse me, in the NCAA tournament. That's going to give a team a scare, whether it's in a four thirteen matchup or a three fourteen matchup. They're usually a team that can keep the game within ten to fifteen points. Sometimes it can get out to about a 20-point game, but usually they're a team, when you see them across from you in the tournament, you get a little bit nervous. But I, I think Eastern Washington, with a team being undefeated, you have to give them the flowers and say May, maybe, maybe they'll pull out the Big Sky Conference. I love it, man. You go with the fighting Rodney Stuckies out there with the <laughs> Eastern Washington Eagles. Uh, you mentioned that the, the year that I saw that Weber State team win the conference and go 14-0 and and win the conference tournament over Eastern Washington, they got a never-before-heard-of 12 seed for a Big Sky team. That was really remarkable. They lost a single-digit game to the Big Ten champs. That was Wisconsin that year, so that was a tough draw for uh, that Weber State Wildcats team. Not the Herald the Show Arsenal team. It was uh, a little bit later than that, but Colin, this was so much fun, man. We got another wild weekend in college basketball. The Buckeyes just wondering what's going to happen and what kind of performance they're going to bring Sunday against Michigan, but We'll be here next week breaking it all down again. Thanks Tim, a lot, CB. Tim, can't wait, man. It's uh, We'll see how this game goes. Not very positive about it, but we're going to watch it anyways. All right, everybody. And uh, just a reminder, the only way you can get the full unedited podcast, of course, with all the foul language and all that, that does not make it to the fan for the simulcast on Saturday, you've got to listen to the podcast only on the podcast. It's free wherever you get your audio. And if you download it on Apple, please do give us a, a rating and a little customer review would be nice. Everybody, enjoy the basketball. This has been Mad About Hoops.